Today we want to look at uh, Christmas, some doctrine, and uh, about Christmas, uh, starting here at Luke chapter 1, verse 26 through uh, 35. Don't be afraid of doctrine. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's important. The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine is one of the prophecies about the last days. I don't know if we're living in the last days, but boy, there sure has been some prophecies that have been fulfilled. I might mention one or two in the message today that no other generation could claim that they have seen that happen as what we have seen happen, which means the coming of the Lord draweth nigh, and we should prepare uh, to meet the Lord. Um, Doctrine is teaching, doctrine is truth. That's not as exciting as uh, maybe some other messages, but, you know, doctrine will outlast inspiration anytime. <clears throat> inspiration won't last you till Monday. Uh, doctrine will outlast emotionalism. There's a lot of emotionalism in churches today, and people are misunderstanding uh, that as to be the, the spirit of God when it's just simply a stirring of the spirit of man. And the emotions that are seated in man. Nothing wrong with being emotional either. God gave us emotions to worship him in spirit and in truth. But boy, we better have some doctrine. Doctrine is going to outlast them all. Uh, when, you're, when you're having your worst day of your life and you don't feel good at all or you don't feel any inspiration, doctrine will keep you on the right path. And every year around Christmas, we need to be reminded of the doctrine of the virgin birth of Jesus Christ and why that is so important. Christmas is so important. Uh, It's so important. Uh, We can't really even get to Easter or to the resurrection day, which is more important, but we can't even get there without having the virgin birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why did it have to be that way? And so we'll look at some things today as I want to speak this morning on the subject of the borrowed womb. The borrowed womb and the borrowed tomb, the borrowed womb. In Luke chapter 1 and verse number 26, and in the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Well, it's got to be pretty important if the angel Gabriel is sent uh, from heaven uh, to a little town, a little city called Nazareth to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph. Now that means in in those days, they were both legally married, but physically separated. All right, we have nothing to compare it to in America, because we don't do it that way. But in the days of the Bible and and, uh, the Jewish faith, they were espoused, they were legally married. They were husband and wife already, but they had not yet come together and uh, had physical relationships. Of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in and said, uh, unto her and said, Hail, thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee, blessed art thou among women. What a special lady Mary is to us. And uh, we, we want to 
remember that, that in our Christian history, we, we need to thank the Lord for Mary. Okay, but we do not worship her. We do not pray to her. But she was highly favored because she was pure, because she was virgin, and um, as we've heard in some sermons lately, grace is basically favor. Uh, God is impartial. He'll save anybody, but there's some people who live in such a way that God bestows special favor on them because of the way they're living. And such was the history of Mary. She was pure. She was holy. She was a virgin. And the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. It doesn't say blessed art thou above women. It just says, blessed art thou among women. Among women, there are, there are some women who are specially blessed by the Lord, who have received special favor from the Lord because of the way they've lived. And they've paid the price to be holy and to be pure. And so God has something very special for them to do. God can use anybody. Uh, great women like her, fallen women, it doesn't matter. God will save, change, regenerate, reform reconcile and use, and we have examples of that uh, for sure. In John chapter 4, the woman at the well. In John chapter 8, the woman taken in adultery. So don't for a second think that because of your past that uh, you, you can't be used in some great way um, for God. But this is a special one-time uh, privilege here that is given to a uh, a, a virgin named uh, Mary. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. It's very important because that word Jesus means Jehovah, our Savior. It wasn't just a name they, they just chose because it maybe was popular. No, no, it, it, she was commanded. They had no choice on what they were going to name this baby. It was going to be called Jesus because every time you use the word Jesus, you are saying Jehovah, my Savior. Jehovah, my Savior. He shall be great and shall be called the Son of the Highest. Now, there are four times in the scriptures, in the Gospel of John, where Jesus is called the only begotten of the Father, or the Son of the Highest. The only begotten. In uh, John chapter number 1 and verse 14, John 1 and verse 18, John chapter number 3 and verse 16, the most famous verse in the Bible, has that word begotten. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, his only begotten son. Now the Bible goes on to say later, now are we the sons of God? Uh, as many as received him, them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. So we are sons of God. I like to use a small lowercase s. But Jesus is the son of God with a capital S. He is the only begotten four times, John 3.16 and also John 
Those four verses have the word begotten in it. Now, in many of the new versions of the Bible, the word begotten is deleted from all four of those verses. A lowering Jesus to our level. I'm a son of God. Small s. The Bible says so. But he is the son of God. Therefore, if you get to those verses, John 1.14, and 3.18, and you do not see the word begotten in your Bible, then I want to encourage you to get an authorized version of the scriptures. Uh, the King James Bible, all right? Not the New King James Bible, but the King James Bible. Uh, the one based on the 1611 when they finished up the translation of the uh, Greek and, and Hebrew. We have them over here. Every Bible over there is a King James Bible. Some are study Bibles and so on. If you don't have a Bible, we can get you a Bible after the service. If you don't have the money to pay for it, you can take one. We'll trust you for the money. There's an envelope taped on the back that you put the money in, put in the offering when you can. If you never can, take the Bible, all right? We want you to have a Bible, but we want you to have the right Bible, the one with all the words still in it. That word begotten is extremely important because in all four cases, it refers to the virgin birth of Jesus Christ, the only begotten of the Father. See, I was begotten of George Cole. Stephen was begotten of Art Cole. But he was the only begotten of the Father. All right, as we're going to see here in the explanation now, in verse number uh, 32, he shall be great and shall be called the Son of the Highest. Not the Son of Joseph, but the Son of the Highest, the Son of God. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom of his kingdom there shall be no end. Now that would be a lot to process if you were a young lady, virgin, and an angel showed up to you and started unloading this on you. Wouldn't that be a lot to process? Uh, you're going to have a son, and he's going to be the son of the highest. Your son's going to sit on the throne of your father David. He's going to reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. Now none of us, no lady I think would say, well, okay, thanks for letting me know. No, they would, th that was a lot to be unloaded on her. She's just scared to death just of the presence of Gabriel. And then he tells her that. Well, humanly, she's got a problem with it. Verse 34. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? So she is a spouse, legally married. All right, Jesus came into the world through a legal marriage not born of fornication as he was accused in John 8, 41 by his enemies, but legal marriage, and, but she's got a question. I, I don't know a man, me and Joseph were married, we're not having physical relations yet. Uh, that time has not yet come in, in this stage, and again, we in America have nothing to compare this to. You, gotta, you can't look at the Bible from an American point of view. So the angel answers and says unto her, here's how it's going to happen. The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. 
Wherefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived son in her old age, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. And, and this is very important doctrine right here, verse 37. For with God nothing shall be impossible. So Mary, what I just explained to you, it, you've never heard of it before. It's never happened before. It will never happen again but there is not going to be a human father involved in your pregnancy. This is going to be a work of God. You know, in our day and age, we, we, we are aware of uh, uh, human efforts like in vitro fertilization. We know, we, know, we know basically where they take the seed of a man and the egg, and they, they put them together, and then they put it inside of the womb of a woman, and, and in many cases she has... Uh, a baby, and that's called in vitro uh, fertilization. Well, if man can do that, why couldn't God do something like that? The Bible talks about the omnipotence of God here in verse 37. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. And, uh, you know, I, I know I'm preaching to the choir, but there's a lot of people that struggle with this out in the world, and they say that that's an impossibility. It is an impossibility for uh, a woman to have a, a, a baby without the seed of a man. Well, there's nothing impossible when God is involved. But why is this important? Keep your place here. Turn to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter number 5. This is very important. Now, she was married to a man named Joseph. But there is a commentary in Romans 5 and verse 12 about Joseph and about Adam and about every other man that's ever lived since. And it says in Romans 5 and verse 12, it says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. See, Adam became a sinner, his seed became corrupt, and when he had children, Abel, Cain and Abel, they were sinners because of the passing of the seed of a fallen man. And you and I received our sinful nature also, according to verse 12, because our, fathers was a, our father was a sinner, his father was a sinner, his father was a sinner, his father was a sinner. Now God is trying to do something here through the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. And that is he is trying to bring in a body into the world that would be perfect, that could then go on to be a satisfactory offering for you and I, who had no sin. Now, that could not be done with the seed of a man involved because every single person that's ever been born has received a sin nature from your father and from that seed that's passed on. Don't know... Uh, can't explain all of that, just know that's what the Bible says. So there's got to be somebody that can come into the world without a human father and who can break that uh, lineage of sin and who can be a body prepared. See, God in the Old Testament always required a body as a sacrifice for sins. 
Sometimes it was a lamb, sometimes it was a goat, sometimes it was a bull, sometimes it was a turtle dove, or, uh, and those different, but there had to be a body. The body had to be killed. The blood had to be shed. But God was not satisfied with those sacrifices because the whole world groaneth and travaileth in pain until now the whole world is cursed because of man's sin. That's why when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, the ground was cursed, the trees all became diseased and died, the plants all became diseased and died, the animals all became diseased and died because they were under the curse of man's sin. So no animal was ever considered to be good enough by God to take away sin. So they perpetually, perpetually, perpetually gave these sacrifices. In fact, he commanded that there be a morning and an evening sacrifice every day uh, in Jerusalem, and in the temple and in Jerusalem when they got the temple finally built every single day. And if you ever did the math on that, uh, now I, know, I know it was interrupted uh, under King Ahaz and others where they didn't even have the temple open. But if from the time it was instituted in 1451 BC, the evening and the morning sacrifice, they would bring a lamb, folks, from the shepherd's fields in Bethlehem. Every morning, those six miles to the temple in Jerusalem, north. And they would sacrifice that lamb in the morning. They'd bring another one in the evening. And then in the morning, the next day, and in the evening, the morning. And if that chain had been unbroken, they would have killed over a million lambs before Jesus Christ showed up. But one day when Jesus did show up, John the Baptist declared... Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Because not one of those sacrifices ever satisfied God. Never satisfied his justice, because it was corrupt, it was sinful, uh, and the blood of those bulls and goats uh, could not make an offering satisfactory. So there had to be a body prepared. Turn to the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews. Trying to give you some good Christmas doctrine today, in case you're ever wondering why did Jesus have to be born of a virgin? Now it says this in chapter 10 and verse 5, Hebrews 10 and verse 5, wherefore when he cometh into the world he saith, sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. It doesn't say a body hast thou prepared for me. A body hast thou prepared me. That's what Jesus was saying. A body, you, you made me a body. I had to come down and be a physical body. Somebody, if, if anyone in this room had any chance of ever being saved and delivered from your sins and saved from hell and saved from being cast into a lake of fire and, and being forgotten by God forever, which he would have been completely righteous to do that in his justice. If any one of you sitting here, and myself included, would have any hope, then there had to be some kind of a sacrifice that could die for us who was perfect 
in God's eyes. And so he could not be born of the seed of a man. He had to be born of God. He had to be the son of the highest. He had to be the son of God. And so the Holy Ghost implanted that seed in a virgin named Mary. And it's interesting, if you want want to investigate this, I found this very interesting this week, that when you have, what about Mary? Wasn't she a sinner? Sure she was. Uh, She said so uh, herself. In fact, um, back um, in uh, the book of Luke chapter 1, I'm coming back to Hebrews though, it says in verse 46, And Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God, my Savior. That's what Mary said. What was Mary saying? I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. But the thing about the miracle of birth is that in the womb... The blood of the mother never mixes with the blood of the baby. Look that up. That's fascinating. It's absolutely fascinating. And so, you know, I know there's big debates. Well, mother's got a right to her own body and everything. It's not her body. It's not her body. It's a separate body inside of her. And it's amazing. Look that up. I thought that was amazing about how your blood, in fact, sometimes people are born totally different types of blood than their mother has. And so she was a borrowed womb that God was going to use, and not that she was sinless or anything, but because that person inside of a mother's womb is a completely different being than the mother is. That's not just a part of her body. That she can do with these people, but that's another issue another time. Now back here in Hebrews 10.5, Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body thou hast prepared me. God made Jesus a body, so now he's going to come to earth. And we'll pick up at verse 10. Why? By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body. Of Jesus Christ once for all. Verse 11. And every priest. Now this is the Old Testament priests we were talking about. Standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices. Which can never take away sins. So they were always standing. There was no chairs in the temple. There were no chairs in the tabernacle signifying that the priest's job was never done. There always had to be more and more sacrifices because God was never satisfied with those animals that they kept sacrificing. Verse 12, But this man, Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, when did he do that? When he died upon a cross outside the walls of Jerusalem at a place called Calvary. There he offered one sacrifice for sins forever. What was that sacrifice? Himself. Notice what he does now. Sat down on the right hand of God. See, Jesus is our high priest. The apostle and high priest of our profession. 
And he's the first priest that ever sits down. Why? The work's done. The work's done. There never has to be another sacrifice given. Not one more lamb, not one more goat, not one more bull or turtle dove or anything has to be sacrificed because he's satisfied. Now, it says in verse 12, by this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool, for by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. This offering of Jesus Christ, his body, was so complete, so perfect, that he only had to do it once. And when you or I become a believer in Jesus Christ, his offering was, was uh, so satisfying to God's wrath and anger that we are considered in the eyes of God, in verse 14, perfected forever. Perfected forever. Now, I know if you're honest with yourself, you don't think you're perfect. But it doesn't matter how you see yourself. It doesn't matter how people see me or I see you. What matters is what God sees when he looks through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, who cried out on the cross just before he died and said, it is finished. It is finished. And that didn't mean his work was finished. He'd go, back, he'd go on to heaven and sit at the right hand of the Father, and he ever lives to make intercession for us. He's been praying for us. And his people for 2,000 years, he's still working. But it meant that the, the uh, offering of sacrifices is finished. God is completely satisfied with the one sacrifice for sins forever that Jesus came. Because Jesus was perfect. Jesus was without sin. He who knew no sin was made sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And God was so satisfied, he said, that's it, I'm satisfied, you don't have to kill another animal. I was never satisfied with him, but I'm satisfied with Jesus Christ as the Lamb of God. Because he was born of a virgin, Joseph was not his father, there was no human father, he was perfect. Turn over to First um, Peter, that should be just a couple books towards the back from where you are, I think. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 18 and 19, you and I, our blood is considered contaminated, sinful. I'm sinful. My three kids got their sin nature from me. But I want you to notice this here. It says in 1 Peter 1.18, for as much as ye know, that you are not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold, from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. All right, so Jesus was the lamb. Somebody once said to me, that's why he couldn't be born in the inn. He had to be born out in a barn because he was a lamb. He was the Lamb of God, and he was laid in a manger, a, 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 a food trough. And some of us grew up on farms. We know that, you know, it's not like the uh, you know, maternity ward at Mercy Hospital, believe me. Uh, the cleanliness of a, a barn and food troughs. 
But Jesus, that was a picture that he would be the Lamb of God, as Peter described him here and as John described him earlier, as a lamb without blemish and without spot. You remember when you do get to Easter, the Passover lamb, they had to examine that thing for four days. The lamb that they were going to sacrifice at the Passover dinner. Can you imagine examining a lamb for four days? And if you saw one little spot on it or one little blemish, it was rejected. Find another one. And that's how Jesus was. For almost four years, he ministered and he was inspected. And uh, uh, he even said himself, which, which of you convinceth me of sin? And he was without spot and he was out without blemish. And Jesus could go to the Calvary, could go to the cross and die for you and satisfy. God's wrath, God's anger, God's righteous justice could finally be satisfied by a perfect sacrifice, but that was not possible to be made without a virgin birth. Without a virgin birth. There couldn't be a human involved. You've got to understand it. This is important. Christmas is important. It's important. Now turn to Mark chapter number 6. I want you to notice that the womb of Mary was just borrowed. The womb of Mary was just borrowed. For it tells us in Mark chapter number 6 and verse number 2, And when the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many hearing him were astonished, saying, From whence hath this man these things? And what wisdom is this which is given unto him that even such mighty works are wrought by his hands. Is not this the carpenter, <coughs> the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and of Judah and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. I want you to notice that Mary's womb got a lot of work after that. All right? That's what the Bible says. Now, that's not what some religions say, but that's what the Bible says. There's 1.2 billion Roman Catholics on earth. Can you imagine that? That's a lot of people. And they believe, if, they, if they believe what they're taught, they're taught about the perpetual virginity of Jesus Christ, or, 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 or the Virgin Mary, the perpetual virginity of Mary. They're taught that. They're taught wrong. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says Mary went on to have children and expressly here in um, Mark chapter 6 and again back in Matthew 13, their names are given. Their names are given. He's got four brothers. He's got four brothers. Their names are given to us here in verse number 3. James and Joses and Judah and Simon, two of them would become quite famous James would write the epistle of James in the New Testament. Judah would write the epistle of Jude in the New Testament. Turn to Galatians chapter number 1. Galatians chapter number 1. I know I'm making you work today. It's the only way to keep you awake. Galatians chapter 1. It's been busy times, hasn't it? I've been busy this week's. Whoa, it's going to be great. <clears throat> I want you to notice Galatians 1 verse 19. 
Galatians 1, verse 19. But other of the apostles saw I none, save James, the Lord's brother. Okay, this is the apostle Paul speaking by the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. He said, I never saw any of the other apostles, except he did see Peter. And he said, but James, save James, the Lord's brother. You see, the Bible says Mary went on to have four boys, and then it says, they said, aren't his sisters with us? Now, if sisters being plural, there's got to be at least two. So four boys, two sisters, him, that's seven, Joseph and Mary, that's nine. One of the things that I remember in Israel was I got to go to Nazareth. They don't let you do that anymore because it's Palestinian-controlled, but I, I don't think there's anybody going there now, that's for sure. But I got to go to Nazareth. And they explained in the archaeological digs around Nazareth, they said, these are the houses and this is the synagogue right here. We went into the synagogue where Jesus grew up and went probably for 28 years maybe. That synagogue, it was no bigger than those that edition and that edition if you put them together. That's how small it was. Uh, it was a small city, Nazareth. At the time, they say it was populated by about 400 people. Real small city. And they showed us the houses that they unearthed, and man, were they small. They were dinky. I mean, they were maybe the size of this section of chairs right here. The whole house. I don't know if it was that big. Can you imagine living with nine people and something like that? And Jesus came, and he was born of a virgin. He was the Son of God, the only begotten of the Father, the only one ever born without a human father. So he could become the Son of Man, a human, through Mary. And he called himself the Son of Man 85 times. He wanted to identify with us as humans. In fact, Son of Man is, is so humbling, it's almost like he's under man. The Son of Man. He only used his name once. He only called himself Jesus one time, ever. He called himself the Son of Man 30, 85 times. It's so wonderful today, and I know most of you know this, it's so wonderful today that our God came to earth in the flesh. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John 1.1. 1, 1. John 1.14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And so God became a man in the flesh. He, he was a little baby. He was a one-year-old, a two-year-old, a three-year-old. He went all through those things, and we only know one incident when he was 12 years of age, and all the way up until he was 30, we don't know anything else except that he was a carpenter, and he had a big family. It's about all we know about those times, until the time of his showing, when he was 30 years of age, and then the men were qualified then to read the scriptures in the synagogues, and when he turned 30, he turned to Isaiah, and he said, this day is a scripture fulfilled in your ears, that 
He would be the anointed one. He'd come to preach the gospel and heal the brokenhearted and set at liberty them that are bruised and, and, and let the oppressed go free and, and, and let those be delivered out of prisons. And all of his ministry began then. But I'm so glad our God went through everything we've gone through and more. Because we have a high priest who can be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. And he was attempted in all points, like as we are, yet without sin. And he can make intercession for us at the right hand of the Father as a man. For there is one one God and one mediator between God and man. The man. That's humanity. Christ Jesus. That's divinity. The man Christ Jesus. What, What a story. And I know many of you have heard it all your life, but what a, what a story. What a, and, and to think that he was the author of this, the author of our salvation. See, he didn't come into existence at Christmas. He always was. And we, all, we have the great prophecy that was mentioned. Uh, in fact, I see Devin here today. Yeah, I thought I said, there he is. He's, uh, there's a, were you Micah? You were Micah in the play, weren't you? Yeah, I thought so. Amen. Can you quote this? I got to get my glasses out for this one. <laughs> the old eyes are going on me. Ah, here we are. Micah's back here somewhere. I love this verse, Micah 5 and verse, uh, 5 and verse 2. If you can find it, I didn't mark it, but it just came into my mind. It's so important. It's what's called a prophecy. I know it's after Obadiah, Jonah. That's why we learn those words, those names. Here we go. This is fascinating. But thou, Bethlehem, Ephrata, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah. Micah 5.2. God uses little things. I think that was brought out in the cantata. God uses little towns, little churches, little people like you and I. He'll use us. And God chose little Bethlehem Ephrata, though thou be little among the thousands of, of the other towns and cities of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. Jesus is the preexistent one. Hebrews describes him as having neither beginning nor ending. Okay? Neither beginning or ending. But that's when he became a man, was that we got to have Christmas, and we got to have a virgin birth, or we have no hope. If somebody denies the virgin birth of Christ, we're all doomed. If somebody thinks Jesus came just like everybody else to this earth, and his birth was just like we're all doomed, we don't have a prayer. But we have a sacrifice, praise the Lord, that came and satisfied the Father. And... It was so powerful, his sacrifice, we we never need another. Listen, we're saved and we're eternally secure in Jesus Christ. For a person to say you can lose your salvation is almost blasphemous because it indicates that person does not believe Jesus' sacrifice was sufficient, that we've got to do something else to keep ourselves saved. And I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to say that. I'm going to say it's sufficient. 
It's sufficient. What Jesus did for me is enough. I don't need to add anything to it. Not baptism, not church membership, not probation. No, it's sufficient. If you believe, you'll be saved forever. Now, in closing, turn to Mark chapter 15. So he came into his earthly existence through a borrowed womb. And you know, when God borrows something from us, he always gives us something back. You ever notice that? Remember Hannah? She said, if you'll give me a son, I'll lend him to the Lord. And and, uh, so God said, okay. And so she took, uh, he took his son, he took her son Samuel. And then it tells us, 2 Samuel chapter 2, verses 20 through 21, Hannah went on to have three sons and two daughters. And you know, I want to encourage you, don't be afraid to give to the Lord. Don't be afraid to give to the Lord. That which thou giveth shall he pay again. Proverbs 19, 17. It says, blessed is he that hath mercy on the poor. And it says, whatever you give, I'll pay you back. You just help the poor. I'll pay you back. I'll keep shoveling it your way. You just keep giving it out and helping people in my name. And uh, the Lord's like that. He, he gives us, remember that? Got, the Lord borrowed an upper room one time. The owners got it back. He borrowed a donkey one time. The owners got that back. And uh, he borrowed a tomb. He borrowed a tomb. In closing, if you look with me here at uh, Mark chapter number 15 and verse 42. This is now after he has died on the cross. And uh, fifteen. There we go. Forty-two. <clears throat> and now when the even was come, because it was the preparation, that is the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea. Don't confuse that with Joseph, Mary's husband. An honorable counselor which also waited for the kingdom of God, came and went in boldly unto Pilate and craved the body of Jesus. I'd encourage you to study Joseph of Arimathea. He's in all four of the records, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. One of them said he was a disciple of Christ, yet secretly for fear of the Jews. Did you ever feel that way? Did you ever get a little bit bashful maybe around people? Don't quite know if I want to let everyone know I'm a Christian in this setting. Huh? Sometimes we're like that. But here he goes boldly. See, we can change. We can change. He goes boldly into Pilate and craved the body of Jesus. And Pilate marveled if he were already dead and called unto him the centurion who was in charge. He asked him, he was the guy that stuck Jesus with the sword, a spear right under his ribs, right into his heart, and out with, forthwith came blood and water. Separation of the lymph and the blood. He asked him whether he had been any while dead. And when he knew of it, knew it of the centurion, he gave the body to Joseph. And he brought linen and took him down and wrapped him in the linen and laid him in a sepulcher, which was hewn out of the rock, and rolled a stone under the door of the sepulcher. And Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph beheld where he was laid. 
If you read all four of the accounts, one of the accounts says this, he laid him in his own tomb. Dug into solid rock. Some of you have been in it. I've been in it over there in Israel. Solid rock. And you go in, it's 10 feet deep, it's 14 feet wide, and over here there's, there's two like, almost like cots, just carved. This is solid rock too. One for the husband, one for the wife. And there they laid Jesus Christ. It's called Gordon's Tomb today, if you want to look it up. Gordon's Tomb, because General Gordon discovered it in the 1800s. And you can go there today, and you can walk inside of the tomb where Jesus' body lay out of solid rock. Boy, that must have been a lot of work. And that's where he laid. And it was a borrowed tomb because Jesus had declared over and over again, destroy this body, and in three days I'll raise it up. And they guarded the tomb. They tried to keep him as secure as they could humanly, but that was no match for the mighty power of God. When the seal on the stone was broken, the, broke, the stone was rolled away, and every man or woman at once has access to that tomb. And the angel said, Come see the place where the Lord lay. Behold, he is risen, as he said. What a testimony. He borrowed a tomb. But... And that's how he exited his human ministry. He entered the human ministry through a borrowed womb, and he exited through a borrowed tomb. And nobody ever was laid in that tomb after that. I think Joseph of Arimathea, my opinion, is that he just, he just didn't feel worthy. No, I'm not going to be laid where my Lord was laid. And uh, they checked that whole tomb. The, the, the British uh, Museum of Science checked the whole tomb. They took every single bit of dirt. and I mean, they found it under rubble, about 1,800 years of rubble. They took it all out, and they, they did forensic science on it the best they knew back then and said, no, no human has ever been in this tomb. Ah, there was one for three days. <laughs> he rose from the grave and walked out. And didn't even leave any DNA behind. It was such a complete resurrection. But I want you to rejoice. Praise the Lord. Uh, You know, I found this interesting. The Orthodox Israeli women today are having more babies than anybody on earth. You know how many? Six. Six. And uh, that's kind of what Mary had. She was an Orthodox Jew. And who then became a believer in her son, Jesus Christ. Nobody comes close to that. And I was talking about prophecy earlier. We, we got to close here, but I was talking about prophecy earlier. You know, I've said this before. There's going to be 144,000 Jews, men, young men, virgins, according to Revelation 7 and Revelation 14, who are going to be saved at the very beginning of the tribulation period. All the saved will be raptured out before. That's why they're called the first fruits. That 144,000 are called the first fruits. That means they're going to be the first ones on earth saved after every other saved person has been taken out in the rapture. Last year, the Jewish women had 91,000 boys. The number was down. It's been up around 100,000 baby boys being born every year in Jerusalem. No other generation has ever seen this with their eyes until us. And now we can understand how that prophecy can be fulfilled. No, one, no, no others 
Everybody else thought the Lord's coming, the Lord's coming, the Lord's coming. But boy, we see things today nobody's ever seen, ever seen, that can potentially fulfill prophecy. The coming of the Lord draweth nigh. And there are more prophecies in this book about the Lord's second coming than there were about his first coming. And his first coming has been fulfilled. We celebrate it. It's called Christmas. He's coming again. Are you ready to meet the Lord? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes in a word of prayer. Our heads are bowed. Our eyes are closed. Do you know the Lord is your Savior? Do you understand the virgin birth and why Jesus was born of the seed of God and not of man? So he could be a sacrifice for you without spot, without blemish. So he could satisfy the wrath and anger of God that was against you and I because we break all of his commandments. That's why. And what is sin? Sin is the transgression of the law, the breaking of the commandments. When we break God's laws, we're we're, we're sinning. And the thing about us humans is not only do we break God's commandments, a lot of us have pleasure doing it. But God's not amused. God is a holy God, and without holiness, no man shall see God. So there's a way, and I described it. Through a virgin-born son, Jesus Christ, who lived a perfect, sinless life, set an example for us to follow, yes, taught us many things to live by, yes, but ultimately went to a cross at Calvary to die in our place on the cross. Jesus Christ died for you. He was the only one. We ought to be thankful. And he stands at the door of our hearts and he knocks because he is not going to force his way into any man's life, any woman's life, any boy's life, any girl's life, unless you let him in. You must open the door of your heart of your own free will. He's done everything he can to save you. The rest is now is up to you. You've got to open your heart. Say, Lord Jesus, save me. And if that's your need this morning, then right where you're sitting right now, you just pray to him. Just pray in your own words right there. And just say, Lord Jesus, save me. I believe in you with all my heart. Come into my heart. Be my Savior. Talk to him. Say, thank you for dying on the cross for me. Father, bless now this song as we dismiss. We'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.